0: You'll really like because there's just nothing better than this the trojansports.com podcast kicks off
1: right now right now no no i don't know you said cock a doo
0: bob oh yeah direct from rivals in yahoo sports this this is the trojansports.com podcast with Trojan sports publisher Chris P. Swanson. Moving on.
2: you love dirty You better cut that out, man, I swear. That better I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean it? about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The the oh. okay.
0: Beat reporter Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Board. We start. Yeah. And yes. And yes. Your host, our very own Ron Burgundy. You say classy, San Diego. Reading whatever is on the prompter. Defense is Sua Adori Chalk by the end of the not, year, by not the
1: way. Chalk.
0: <laughs> I don't know why I said. I'll, I'll just read whatever it says,
1: baby. I know. Yeah.
0: Chris Morales. A, it's a touchdown. You, you. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Watch out, the kids are back. That really yeah, no that's really a good one. one. Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. Now, now, now. the kids
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm your publisher, Chris Swanson, and I'm here with Adam J. Maya, uh, USC football wizard. That's my new nickname for you. I hope you enjoy it. Adam, how are you today? The day after Easter, actually. Happy Easter.
1: Yeah, and two days after the end of spring practice, so I couldn't be better. (laughs) It feels like like school's over.
2: Are you saying that you want a break from USC football?
1: (laughs) Hey, we never take a break here on the podcast, so I'm sure uh, we'll have a lot to talk about. But I'm grateful for what I saw, and I'm grateful that we're moving on.
2: Awesome, great, great answer. I really like that. You could be a politician someday, I think, Adam. Um, yeah. So, just I'm really quick. I'm going to plug some stuff. Lots of great things on the site uh, from Adam. Uh, from from. Spring practice was, which obviously just ended, as we said. So go check it out. Uh, projected depth chart that we're feeling really good about, and a lot of other great content for Adam. And if you like recruiting, check me out too. I'm okay as well. I also really quickly before we want before we get into the show, Adam, I want to give a shout out to my mom, my mother. Hmm. Uh, I know this is interesting. Who actually, uh, without really telling me this until recently, listens to the show on a very regular basis? So I need to what? watch my behavior. Yeah, I know. I know. I was shocked. I Game need to changer. watch my. Be- I know. I can't be me anymore because uh, I didn't know my mom was listening. So uh, I, I know everybody's thinking of a few shows where they're like, "And how does Chris's mom still love him?" But uh, on our yeah, last what did she think
1: of the Sandusky one?
2: Oh, that... <laughs> it was her favorite one, I'm sure. Uh, I-, I think that she has the original audio saved on her computer, I'm sure. Anyway, uh, my mom uh, was listening to the show that was around my birthday, our last uh-huh. show, when I made the joke that nobody talked to me on my birthday. Nobody called me and wished me happy birthday, and my mother did. And she was very offended. Uh, so yeah. I just wanted to give a quick shout out Thanks. to my mom. Who did wish me a happy birthday on my birthday, and I wanted to let everyone know that my mom cares about me and loves me and calls me on my birthday. That's all.
1: Good, yeah. I, I'm in good company. Then it was just me and your mom.
2: That get that? Uh, no, there there was other family oh, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, I. So I'm family. I wasn't...
1: I'm family level.
2: Your family level. It was pretty much just you and family. To be fair. All right. So. No, there's a couple others. Whatever. I don't care. They're not going to call me about it. They don't listen to my podcast. So, anyway. Podcast. We're doing one right a now. a shout out? Yeah, go for it. I, I, I went five minutes on mine, so why not? Go ahead.
1: I'll be quick. I want to give a now, shout out to...
2: Take your time.
1: Well, it was Easter, so I'm just going to give a shout out to Jesus for the ultimate sacrifice.
2: We went there.
1: Hey, come on.
2: That's fine, and you know what? If you're Jewish or Muslim, we respect you, and uh, happy Passover and everything else, too, as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just want to point that out, uh, because... right,
1: now this got awkward. Let's move on. (laughs) You
2: you surprised me. I'm not going to surprise that. I'm not going to lie, but uh, I get it. I get it. Easter is upon us, and it's a big deal, so... What did you do, by the way? uh, Family, just, you know, did the brunch thing. I guess it was kind of early dinner. So, winter, yeah. I guess. But, uh... uh don't you know, ti- yeah. Oh, sorry. Typical, you know, typical family holiday where you just eat a lot of food at, like, a weird time. You know what I mean? You're either eating yeah. dinner at, like, 11 a.m. or, like, at 3 p.m. I think we right. did the 3 p.m. You know, we did the later one. But, it was nice. We had great food. And then, you know, I commuted back home. Yeah, that was about it.
1: What did... Did you guys have a hunt? I want to know what they put putting the eggs. No. Oh.
2: No, we no children at this. So.
1: Yeah, that's why I figured you had one.
2: Oh, you like you? Are you asking if I had a child hunt? No. <laughs>
1: no. Okay. No, inappropriate. I, an Easter egg hunt. You know, people put money in them or they put I, candy. I know. Yeah.
2: We didn't do an Easter egg hunt.
1: So. Okay. No. Never mind then. Well. Yeah we, we had one because I have a a young boy now, so that was kind of fun to, to do those things, things that I kind of just had moved on from in my life a long time ago. and now they're coming back, and now I'm planning them.
2: Did you help him cheat?
1: Nah, I mean, you're the not way one we one his
2: dad's. You're not one of those dads that's like super competitive, and your son has to win the Easter egg hunt. So
1: I probably am or will be, but with where he's at right now, I mean, he just started walking. We just got to get him an egg. That, that's all we could really do for now. But I got you, it'll get better.
2: I got you. I get yeah. it. He got money. Nice. Oh, that's good. Or money always good. I
1: got money. We got money.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, yeah, like he's putting that in his bank account. It's on his debit card. He's got lunch. Don't worry. That's awesome, though. Um, So, yeah, everybody, happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate. Uh, You know, happy spring break, if that's what you're celebrating, even if you're just taking a vacation from work, good for you. Uh, We hope everybody's having, you know, fun with their families and all that kind of stuff, which happens around this time, I believe, for pretty much everybody, so... Uh, yeah, happy holidays, in general. Uh, yeah. You ready to get into this, uh, this spring game, which happened on Saturday?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to say about it.
2: <laughs> I was wondering the exact same thing, so I'll let you uh, take off with it.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, spring game is, uh, I guess, uh, a curious choice of words, because it wasn't a game. It wasn't close to a game. They have had games in the past, but the trend has been to protect players, and that's their prerogative. I'm not mad at it, but when you're promoting the scrimmage or the game, it felt a little dishonest. But uh, I, I guess I, I appreciate Clay trying to forewarn people throughout the week. Uh, I think he made that pretty clear early last week. That this would not be what maybe what you hoped it would be or what you expected. And uh, it really, it wasn't even full speed. It it wasn't live tackling. It wasn't what some of the other scrimmages were in spring. So, I mean, I guess it was a, a nice showcase for the end of spring. But I don't, I didn't draw any real conclusions from it about the team.
2: No, I'm totally with you. I don't think you can. Uh, I, I actually I agree with every point you made. Uh, and, and I'm going to get into something about the spring game that's probably not really related to this team. And I hope uh, people forgive me for it. But, uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. I don't think you can draw many conclusions from this game. I think that, you know, the conclusions you can draw are pretty much if you haven't, I've uh, been paying attention to, you know, the news coming out of practice, or if you haven't seen the team in person, you can see some things. You can see that, you know, uh, they have some fast receivers, some tall receivers. They have, you know, there's some, uh, the offensive line still work in progress. You can kind of confirm everything that you've been reporting, Adam. Uh, you know, I've, maybe not in one setting because there wasn't a lot going on, but you can kind of see, you know, if you know what you're looking at. What's going on? So I guess that's sort of the purpose. Uh, if you wanted to, you know, go see USC in person at the Coliseum and and try to draw a conclusion from it, uh, you can do that. Uh, but that's about it. My now I want to talk a little bit about uh, the spring game itself because, like you talked about, and I don't blame Clay Helton for this. I'm glad you pointed this out because he he did actually, and I don't remember any other coach doing this. Really talk about uh, what their plans were going forward for this spring game and how it wasn't a spring game. I just wish that uh, there was a little bit of a different format. I get that you're trying to protect players. I totally understand that, and I get that. And I, I'm not, like you said, I'm not mad at it. I'm really not. Uh, I just think that when you're asking fans, especially in L.A., you know, to drive from all over L.A. and spend a lot of time on the freeway and charge them uh to sit there and you know they have to spend money on you know uh, a lot of money on food or drinks that are you know higher cost than normal all that typical coliseum stuff should just try to give them a show that's sort of my opinion uh so i would just like to see something a little bit different Uh, you know maybe the same exact format but then like a seven on seven touch football type competition i think that'd be kind of fun if they did something like that, you know, maybe Donald versus Fink or, with, or whatever with, uh, you know, mixed receivers or something. Or maybe do a little uh, alumni-type game. You know, you're going half speed anyway. Why not have the team do a little seven-on-seven seven with some of the former players, try to get them to show up? I don't know, something fun. Just something that people can kind of get a show out of it. Because I felt like, you know, that spring game wasn't much of a show. I get it. I understand why but it really just felt like a practice and I think that you know it's a spring game it should be special you look at these other spring games across the country I get that they're not dealing with some of the depth issues that USC's dealt with in recent years I get that they're probably a little bit more built up in the trenches than USC is even right now but you know most I see other teams putting on uh, full spring games. I see other big-name colleges across the country packing in their stadiums. I know it's a different atmosphere, a different culture, uh, but it just seems like USC around this time could get Los Angeles to really focus you know, on USC football and, and put more people's butts in seats. There's a good turnout, I think, because there's a lot of hope around this team, but get even more if they found a way to put on a show. and I, think, I just think that there's a way to do that
1: spring games plural I kind of like it I like some of your ideas I'm not exactly sure how how they would really do it it is an official practice they get 15 and it's the final one maybe clay would have approached it differently if not so many people had gotten banged up over the course of the last month but some of that is inevitable and that'll be the case every year and they do have a a more complete roster than they've had in the past. Um, they don't have their full 85 or you know 82, whatever they're going to end up with, because a, a number of the freshmen are going to come in the summer. But that's no different than before. So they basically have what they normally would have before the extension. And injuries are always going to be there. So... I kind of wish they would get a little bit more creative too then if they're not going to play a game. Um, I think the trend has been nationally to get away from playing a game. I know some people still do, but I've been reading more and more that other teams are not doing what they've done in the past. And I think with more money in the game, you're going to protect these guys. And, and so I, I don't know that we're going to see another real spring football game moving forward. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it just doesn't, what, what you guys would remember from the 90s even, um, or the 2000s. I, I don't know that we're going to go back to that. I mean, maybe with a different head coach, but I'm not really trying to put this on clay either. Um, because they really did have depth issues on the line, at the offensive line, at running back, Therefore, you're not running the ball the way that you want to. Um, all of their top linemen basically <laughs> have been injured. I mean, Chuma Doga, Toa Lovengane, Vianney Talamayval, Nico Fala. They've all either been out for the majority of spring or, you know, the end of it. So, what do you do with that? You, you shouldn't play a game. So, I, I actually <laughs> agree with what Clay did. But I did feel for the fans. I thought about that. I thought about them coming and, of course, paying for admission, paying for parking. Maybe they don't care because they get to meet the players and get autographs and just enjoy going to the Coliseum. So I'm not going to speak for everyone there. But if you were disappointed, I'd understand that. And then, Chris, you watched it on TV. That was kind of our plan of attack. We had a few people that were doing different things at the Coliseum for us, and then, you were going to report from home, do some of the play-by-play, and get different vantage points. And from what I understand it, it wasn't that fun of a broadcast.
2: No. Uh, well, I it almost felt like they were filling time waiting for something to happen and not much ever happened. And I think about what we talked about with, you know, put it on a show or whatever else or how it just kind of seemed like a normal practice. And, and I think of, you know, broadcasting the spring game on the Pac-12 network, which luckily, right, a lot of people don't have. But you're broadcasting this game on television, and these are the people that didn't go but are still interested enough that they're going to watch on television. That's who USC is trying to get to the Coliseum, if I'm not mistaken. You know, the guy that's not watching is probably not their target audience to get him to the Coliseum. It's that fan that's sitting at home and watching. And I think, hey, if USC wants to make their 15 bucks on the ticket, their money on the parking, their money selling them a lemonade or, you know, a churro or whatever else, uh, they got to get that guy that's watching on TV to say, I want to come down there. And there was nothing on that broadcast that would make me think, hey, like anybody watching at home that's obviously on the fence about going because they didn't show up would think, oh, I need to go. That's exciting. They would probably sit at home and think, oh, good thing I didn't go. Unless, like you mentioned, they really want to meet the players or they want to, you know, get that poster signed or whatever else. Um, It just doesn't, from a marketing standpoint of USC football, it just doesn't feel smart to me. I think there's a different way to do it. Maybe even I you know, even if you want to keep the same format, I would think about talking to the Pac-12 network about, "Hey, you know, instead of doing a 2-hour show on our spring game, why don't we do a 30-minute highlight deal or something like that?" Because it really, you know, it just felt like there's not a lot happening here over 2 hours. There were too many shots of the crowd. And honestly, a lot of the shots of the crowd, the crowd was just kind of sitting on their hands and staring off in his face because they were waiting for, you know, the scrimmage or the seven-on-seven the seven or the one-on-ones or whatever else. Um, and there was just a lot of talking about looking towards the future, uh, you know, with USC, the, the broadcast people spent a lot of time on that, a lot of time interviewing, uh, you know, like Porter Gustin or Lynn Swan or whoever else is kind of around the sidelines and, it just felt like they were trying to figure out how to make a show around something when obviously, you know, with a football game, which I know it's the spring game, but it's a game, right? It's a football game, technically. That's not yeah. what you're supposed to do. You show up and you broadcast the game and it's pretty easy. It's just here's the game. You know, that's it kind of takes care of itself. You call it or whatever. And it felt like the Pac-12 network was trying to create a show out of whatever was going on in front of them.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I, I wanted to ask you, but I don't know, I guess it was worth exploring if anything jumped out at you because I don't watch them on TV. I haven't watched them. I've been there every day. So my vantage point has been pretty consistent the entire time. And, uh, well, I actually want to mention one other thing. um, that practice was not emblematic of spring practice. I thought it was very competitive at times, very physical. They had a couple other scrimmages earlier in spring. And, uh, and they really on, on the Saturday practices when they were in full pads, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, you know, we're in Howard Jones, of course, and so it's a lot more quaint. Um, and intimate, but there were a lot of people there on on those Saturdays, and it felt lively, and, uh, anyway, so, I don't want people to get the wrong idea and think that they were, they were going kind of soft, I I don't believe they did, but at the end of five weeks of football, they were just banged up, And, and it happened, um, and it's happened before. It isn't a new thing or a new trend or, I think, anything to worry about. I think when it, when it comes at one position, there might be concern, and that is what happened on the offensive line. But, uh, but otherwise, I think they're fine. Um, so back to my question, did anything jump out at you? That just watching on TV, it looked like something that could mean something uh, in the future, in the fall?
2: um just just a couple things that i'm not sure so much about the future of the fall but when i when i watch on tv i kind of like to see if it confirms what i'm seeing in person or what i've seen in person because i think that um obviously you always hear about how coaches want to see everything in person because they're football minds, they're football geniuses. And, and it's almost like they're, you know, they're always in person with it. They want to see, you know, everything up close from their uh, point of view. But to me, I almost feel like the opposite in a way, um, As as somebody that grew up watching football on television. And that's that I feel like sometimes when I'm around these guys in person, You know all the offensive linemen just look like big giant offensive linemen to me they're just way bigger than me they're big dudes they look for real you know what i mean um sometimes i like to see if the speed that i see on the field translates to television i know that sounds weird but sometimes you see guys running with the football in person and you think gosh i couldn't run that fast and It sort of amazes you in person, you know, even if they're a four, five, eight guy or whatever, because it's just really fast. And on TV, I think that sometimes you're just used to seeing all this speed around each other. So you can kind of separate better, you know, like who's really, really fast as as somebody that just views college football. I grew up viewing it on television. You know, you can kind of see, oh, that guy's pulling away. So I say that to say this. Um. I feel like I confirmed that uh, Vilas Jones is very fast. I know that that's probably something that everybody had already figured out and already knew, but watching on TV on that play with the reverse, I felt like
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's clear that he is is incredibly fast, is a top end speed guy because he had the ball in his hands and you know you can see from that vantage point, that up high vantage point, how quickly he covers ten yards, twenty yards, and it was. Fast, um, so I I thought that I kind of verified that, and then the other thing that jumped out to me is I feel like uh, the limited action of I that I saw from their offensive line and the offensive line defensive line reps, I felt like their offensive line some of some of the people that they were playing with because obviously they you know they're missing a lot of guys that should be very important to this team if they're healthy um, didn't seem like they were USC ready players at that moment to me. I didn't I felt like a few of them I was like I'm not sure I would be very comfortable at all if you're playing in a college football game and I felt like my vantage point on TV just kind of you know not only you could see in the one-on-one reps that a lot of the defensive linemen or outside linebackers were kind of handling these guys and winning Uh, Or even, you know, some of the younger guys, like uh, more than Toy Polotu was, you know, fighting to even with older guys. Um, So not only did that jump out, but I just felt like they didn't look right in a way to me. They just don't don't look like a starting offensive lineman at USC, you know, that you're used to seeing on television. There's just a certain presence there that you're used to seeing. With that, And even, you know, in the past, when, you know, last couple of years have been very critical of their offensive line, it still didn't feel that way. I I was looking at an offensive line that I felt like, ah, this doesn't feel like a USC offensive line. So those are the two things that kind of jumped out at me. Um, Obviously, one of them is very good. One of them is not so good. But USC's offensive line, I should just state again, was missing people that will start. So this might be a situation, you know where their offensive line in the fall you know if, if there was a fall game and i was watching on tv you know preseason or whatever i would say okay everything looks right now because you know they have these three or four guys back or whatever it is now um but those are the two things that did jump out to me on television
1: all right cool want we'll to get to Work.
2: yeah let's do it um I'm going to ask you about all these awards, Adam, because you're so uh, in tune and awesome with everything Whatever. that I feel like you're the guy to go to. Um, if, if I was asking, you know, if somebody came to me and said, who is the guy to hand out USC football awards? Maybe a bumper sticker about USC or something like that. Um, I would say Adam J. Maia. Obviously, uh, because you are, in my opinion, the best beat writer on the beat. But I am very biased, obviously. So let's go for it. Adam, I'm going to start with
1: my mom's not listening. So it's okay. Your mom doesn't listen to the show. (laughs) We're
2: good. You know, my mom actually loves you, though, just so you know. She did compliment really? you. and t- Oh, yeah. She said she thought you were funny or something, which I thought <laughs> was sad because I was trying to be the comedian on that show and you weren't. And uh, nobody complimented how funny I was. So I'm hoping my mom is checked out at this point at 24 minutes in or whatever we are. Anyway, Maya. Yeah. Let's start with the most obvious of all awards. The award okay. that everybody always wants to know about, and I feel like is the award that, like, if you're just a general sports fan, you just kind of Google this award to kind of be like, oh, who's good? Who's the guy in the sport? MVP, most valuable player of the spring. Adam, don't disappoint. Who's your MVP?
1: <laughs> well, I I thought about it because I just didn't want to give it out to whomever. And... Unfortunately, I don't have an MVP. Um, I don't believe that there was one player that separated himself from everyone else. I know it would be easy to say Sam Darnold, but Sam threw 10 picks, which comes out to two a week, you know, two for, for every three practices. Um, I thought he played really well. I mean, he's obviously the best player on the team. But he wouldn't he wouldn't call himself the MVP, you know, and, I, and I'm not going to do it for him either. Um, so while there were a lot of other players that played very well as well, I didn't find them to be the most valuable. Um, a piece that I'm working on right now is the top player at every position for the entirety of spring. And uh, that'll give you a list, or that'll give you an idea of who were the MVPs at each position. But I don't have an MVP, an overall MVP. And not because I'm, I'm not trying to be difficult. I just don't have one.
2: Not trying to be difficult. Adamaya never tries to be (laughs) difficult, but somehow, someway. No, I'm just kidding. Um,. Adam, I have to ask you because I'm really good at math and I'm doing it in my head right now. That's a joke, obviously. But let's say they get to the Pac-12 championship game. That's 13 games, right, before the Heisman Trophy is handed out. 13 games, if I'm not mistaken. They get to the Pac-12 title game. That would be the 13th game. Yes. Two interceptions a game. Sam Donald's throwing 26 interceptions. How many touchdowns would Sam Donald have to throw to win the Heisman Trophy if he threw 26 interceptions? I'm going to say
1: 79. <laughs> yeah, I, this isn't what's going to happen. You know, I mean, the interception thing, it, it's a real thing. I, I, we can't completely dismiss it because... He had only thrown, I believe, two when you add up his first training camp in 2015 and then last spring and then training camp last year. I only have him down for two in in those three different periods. But then we saw him play and he averaged about one a game. He threw nine in the year. So, he's going to throw them because of the way he plays. He'll probably throw a few more this year than he did last year. I really think that's the byproduct of a different offensive line, different receivers, different responsibility for him. I don't think that he's necessarily changing or regressing. It's it's possible to improve and still, you know, make a few more mistakes. Because with Darnold, it's always been that. It's always been you take the good with the bad. And for every bad play, you get a lot of good plays. And you get some plays that no other quarterback in college football can make. I don't want to worry people, but be prepared for him to throw a few more picks. We saw it in spring, so I think that it is a sign of how the offense will be different, but not so much this big flaw in Darnold.
2: Can I worry people? Why? What? what do you think? Well,. I, you know, I think the world of Sam Donald, obviously, Uh, but the last time I remember a USC quarterback with so much hype uh, going into the season with a team with so (laughs) much, so many expectations, despite everything they lost and, you know, the obvious losses that people just ignored uh, the last time that happened and that quarterback went into spring and threw a bunch of picks and everybody just kind of brushed it off was Matt Barkley before that 2012 season when they went seven and six. Um, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I do see a lot of parallels uh, between that team, and this team. I feel like Sam's so unique with his ability to move that it might not matter that he doesn't have, a, you know, an offensive line in front of him if that does end up being the case. if they really well, can't it, it, these tackles.
1: It, it doesn't affect him as yeah. much as maybe a, a less mobile quarterback, but, but it I, definitely matters.
2: I'm saying it doomed. Losing Khalil, losing, you know, that, that piece of that offensive line doomed that team, doomed Matt Barkley because he didn't have – he went from having one of the best tackles in the country, probably the best tackle in the entire country, to having an issue there at that position. Yeah. And it, it, it completely reversed you know, the team's direction, obviously. I feel like Sam Darnold could deal with that issue better. I felt like he dealt with it last year. I don't think they were very great up front at all. And he was able to deal with it. They were able to do a lot of good things. But it just makes me wonder because, you know, that – 2011, they go 10 and 2. They beat Oregon on the road. They finish in the top five, top six, whatever. And it felt like the next year, everybody ignored absolutely everything they lost. And it was, well, USC's back and they should be good. Because, you know, when Pete Carroll was here, they were good every year. And it feels like to me this year, a lot of people are ignoring that their offensive line could very well be a mess. That they lost their best defensive lineman and, you know, the depth that they've added is very young. So the defensive line could all of a sudden be an issue. That they lost arguably, you know, two of their three best players, it just seems like there's a lot of ignoring that. It might turn out okay because obviously there's plenty of examples throughout the history of USC football where they lost so much. And it was fine. Very talented team every year, it seems like. But it just kind of reminds me. Of that season right now. I'm just reminded of it. That's all.
1: Yeah. And I think there are some parallels. Um, I don't really like the Darnold going to Barkley. In fact. I feel like this summer is going to be huge for him. And these receivers. It'll be an extended period. Where they can figure out their timing. And their tendencies. If Darnold threw a bunch of picks. In training camp. Then I'd be concerned, and my bet is that he won't. I, I don't think he'll have double digits over that. You know, they they basically have about a month before the opener, and I think that he'll cut that in half. I think, or better, I think he'll he'll play really well. Um, he won't be guessing the way that he probably did in spring. He admitted that he was forcing a lot of balls, and he kind of put the onus on himself. But I know that he's expecting these guys to do one thing, and they didn't, or they weren't sure, or they they didn't have that a uh, you know that that rapport that they're going to have that they're going to need time to build. There were a number of times where he threw either to the wrong shoulder, or he threw it like where the, the the receiver cut one way and he threw it the other way, which tells me that the receiver likely ran the wrong route. A lot of that stuff will be cleaned up because those guys hadn't really played. Other than Deontay Burnett, who caught everything and looked fabulous, a lot of the other guys were, were up and down. And I mean they, they played well, and I think there's a lot to be encouraged by with the receivers, but there's still a lot of work to do between them and Darnold. And they hadn't really gotten reps with him. I mean, last year, these guys were all red They're on the scout team. They were playing with Matt Fink. Now they're playing with Darnold. It- it'll take a little bit of time. Anyway, all right, what's the next award?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, that's the award that uh, we didn't give out. That's how long it took us to award the uh, award to no one. So we're, we're moving really fast through this show, I'm sure. Most <laughs> improved out of Who is most improved to you in this spring?
1: Okay. So the guy who I felt improved the most from when I last saw him in the Rose Bowl to now was Jack Jones. He got a little cameo in that Rose Bowl, an extended cameo, with a Jory going down. And he had a hard time. Now... We don't have to make a big thing about it because he hadn't played a lot and it's quite a situation to be thrust into. But it was rough. And USC in some respects pretty fortunate to make it through that without a in the fourth quarter. Right now, I I wonder how things would have played out with if a had come back. Because obviously you have Adorea on one side and Biggie on the other. Jack Jones will then probably have to become the nickel. He has to play. That, that's how good he's playing right now. I think he can be one of the better defensive players on the team this year. Um, I I just love the way that he practices. I, the, the, you get more than just performance with him. Um, you get an attitude, you get a slagger, you get a cockiness, you get braggadocio, and some of it is going to turn people off, but uh, if we're just judging them between the lines, I I feel even more confident that this kid will be very good, if not great.
2: I'm glad you brought up Jackie Jones because we actually we had a conversation that I kind of want to talk about a little bit. Um, you ran, or they said it recently, featuring Jones. I believe it was that they said it, um, where yeah. he made comments that I know people are going to be upset about, or you know whatever else people are going to think he's a jerk or disrespectful or something because he well, literally says, i <laughs> I think I'm the best player to like ever play the game." I mean right I mean that's basically What he's saying um,
1: Yeah in a nutshell We should read the quote I mean read the whole okay. quote
2: Do you Okay do you have it In front of you Or do yeah, I Yeah I demi- do Okay go for it then and
1: The funny thing about it I was asking him About Whether he was better As a kick returner Or a kickoff returner Or a punt returner And he said I think I'm the best At both And then he was asked Well what makes you Believe that And here's his quote Because it's me I don't think nobody is better than me And I'll look into your eyes and tell you that I'm the greatest to ever touch the field I believe that in my heart And nobody else can believe it Nobody else has to believe it But I believe it And that's all that matters to me (laughs) Okay
2: So this this is why I bring this up Is I understand If you If you know you're a usc fan and you have favorite players and that makes you think jackie jones will not be one of my favorite players one of my favorite players will be a guy that's humble and will be a guy that you know says nice nice fluffy quotes or whatever you know i i get that because i've been there too following other sports when people said things that's like wow dude like really like i i can't i'm not rooting for you or whatever else But if if you're a fan of a football team, if you're a football coach, Jackie Jones is the player you want on your team, and he is on my watch list for a potential great, and this is why. He has that attitude, which will turn people off, but he will not let himself be anything less than great. It will not happen because it is obvious to me that he will take it personally if he's not the best football player out there, it will bother him. He will hate himself, and he will kill himself to be the best. And those are the guys that become the best. He reminds me, you guys all know I'm a boxing guy. I brought this up to Adamiah earlier after we talked about the quote when, you know, when we published the story or whatever. It reminds me of a fighter. It was the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the mid-'90s when he was like 44-0. James Tony uh won titles in middleweight, light heavyweight, cruiserweight, and uh, heavyweight title as well. Uh, he did beat John Ruiz, so that doesn't really count. But uh, he had that same attitude where, yes, he was incredibly talented. Jackie Jones is incredibly talented as well. So obviously that's that's what it's about, right? It's not just about the attitude. Um, but he was able to overcome so many things, you know, an eating disorder, being out of shape, and beat guys and win big fights, because I don't think he would ever let himself lose. I think that that was a huge part of it, is he was so competitive. And yes, he talks about how great he was, and Jackie Jones does. But there's something there. There's there's, there's a special quality there where, while that guy might seem brash and might turn people off, he is going to push himself so hard to be great. And that is what you want. I know Jackie Jones will do that. I don't know if everybody will do that. I don't know if the nice guy will do that. Maybe he will. Maybe it doesn't matter so much. But I know Jackie Jones will. Because he truly believes he's the best. And he's trying to prove it to everybody. I go back to when he was in high school. And he was a four star. And this is when I first saw this quality out of him. He was so mad. He was a four star. That every time... He saw Adam Gorney at a seven-on-seven event at the five-star challenge in Baltimore, wherever it was. He went up to Adam Gorney and talked to him, not about how he should be a five-star, but what he could do to prove to him that he is a five-star because he is one. And why isn't Adam Gorney seeing it? And he would—I <laughs> saw—I literally— Wait, Did he have I a
1: on at the time that they were talking?
2: Did he what? I was, I told, I'm sorry, I missed that.
1: Oh, I didn't know if he, I wondered if he had a pad on while they were talking about that. <laughs>
2: oh, you're bad. I hope we don't get a, an email about that one. I love that that little reference, though. Um, but I saw him pick off passes at the five-star challenge, and he would run the ball to Adam Gorney and go, am I a five-star? Yeah. And you know what? Adam Gorney made him a five-star because he eventually proved it to him. I feel like Jack well, Oh, Jones... then he had to have
1: a pad on, He had to have a on. Okay.
2: He did. He did. You're right. Um— jackie Jones, i feel like is the guy that that will take it personally when people don't name him an all-american and all conference and he will just get better and better and better and he will eventually make it that's what i see his future being in 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 football i really do okay
1: yeah yeah he's driven for sure and improved that,
2: that attitude matters it really does i know that it can turn some people off but i think you see it a lot out of great athletes too. Is that there's this confidence that they're the best, and I think that it just it helps you. It really does. It helps with your drive. It helps with you know confidence is always important in sporting events. So that's my point. Yeah, we will move yeah, on. Yeah, I think
1: I think a lot oh. of I, I would say a lot of players at USC probably think like he does about themselves. They just don't talk the way he does about it. But uh, again, he's allowed to say whatever he wants
2: and I love it he's It's putting, great for uh...
1: he, he's putting the pressure on himself that's what I find fascinating because I I also believe that he will work 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 until he's great but by, by announcing it the way he does it, it, you know something's got to give.
2: Yeah. And uh, I hope he keeps talking because it's great for us. I just want to say that too. So keep going, Jackie. We love it. We love it. Getting a lot of eyeballs on our site.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to include the question there because I wasn't trying to bait him into anything. I know he's said things in the past and he's brought up the Heisman. Um, I I didn't mention that. I wasn't at all part of my line of questioning. We were talking about about returns. (laughs) Because they didn't really practice on returns very much, so it was unclear who who the front of the front runners were at that spot. but I know that he wants to do them. so I want to follow up with him on you know his involvement with that and whether he thought he would be better suited for one or the other. and then he went on that little rant.
2: A beautiful rant though.
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly he wanted to make that known. I wasn't trying to get it out of him. He wanted to tell. He wanted to talk about it. So,
2: so when he said Jack that, him, yeah, when he said that to you, was that the biggest surprise of spring, or would you award that to something else? That's a good uh, transition, wouldn't you say? That's yeah, our well, next award, by the way. Biggest surprise.
1: Yeah. Well, I got a little story for you, real quick, about Jack. Oh, I'm while sorry. We were, I keep trying to. Yeah, while we were talking um he was asked well I asked him if any receiver had stood out to him anyone in particular if if any of them were you know a tough cover I like to ask that of defensive backs and he kind of just said that they were all good and you know he didn't really answer the question and then he was asked if uh if there had been a moment that stood out to him a play where someone got the best of him And he said, I don't remember anybody beating me the entire spring, which I couldn't help but chuckle because, I mean, A, you're a corner, so everyone gets beat. There's no shame in that. But B, it was just a week before in the Coliseum, the only other practice in the Coliseum, where he'd been beaten badly by Michael Pittman. And then... He Tugged on his jersey, he actually pulled his jersey out for about 15 20 yards down the field. And so, when he said he didn't remember getting beat, I had to do, I just told him, What about Pittman? and he <laughs> he glared at me, he looked over and he he just glared in my eye and was like, I don't remember that. And I just laughed. I I told him, my bad, I made it up. But, um, you know, again, you like the kid. You talk to him and he's different. He's his own guy. He's unyielding. He has as much confidence as you're going to find in a kid his age. And if it drives him to greatness, then so be it. It's not for everybody, I understand. But I'm just trying to prepare everyone because I think we're going to be seeing a lot of them this year.
2: Yeah, I think so. And, and I think I'm glad you, uh, you brought up that story because I think it just proves, again, how competitive he is. He's so competitive that he hates the fact. He hates the fact that you remember Michael Pittman beat him one time in spring. Think about that. That's a good yeah. thing. That's a good quality for a football player. It is. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, you're right. I think he's the kind of guy that he wants to erase something like that, not only from his memory, but from everyone else's.
2: Yeah. All right. All
1: right. So the the biggest surprise of spring. I'm gonna let you tackle that award.
2: Oh, okay. I finally I get to hand out an award. Is this the Chris Swanson bumper sticker? Is this what this is? We've got to go you back like, to that. You like how I referenced that award that disappeared so long ago? <laughs> <laughs> a lot Whatever. of things
1: disappear without ever being addressed hey, directly. I,
2: I never, I never say a word. We just keep chugging along. Um, yeah, you know, to me, and I'm sure you have a different answer, Adam, because you always do, and you always tell me how wrong I am. But uh, it's it's Velus Jones uh, to me. Velus. Uh, okay, Velus. I apologize. Yeah, you, you
1: asked me before the show how to pronounce it, and I told you. Well, we mentioned three
2: different pronunciations, so thank you so much. Uh, But that's my biggest surprise uh, because, you know, obviously (laughs) I've always thought that he was athletic, he's a talented player, but uh, I didn't expect him to jump out early on in spring and kind of seem like he's, you know, potentially going to become one of the guys. I think that if people were handicapping the wide receiver race, uh, he would have been, I would say, maybe third? Uh, I think that people would look for Michael Pittman first because, you know, he didn't take the red shirt year. Uh, He played on special teams. He did play a little bit. Uh, And then obviously Deontay Burnett seems like the guy that, you know, would be the favorite just because he was playing a significant role and he's the guy that returns. But I feel like Jones uh, has really jumped out and, and maybe it feels like he could, you know, move up that list Uh, To to two or one, uh, maybe Uh, he's definitely, you know, not a solid number three now, or maybe even lower because there were other, you know, there are other wide receivers on the roster, obviously. Uh, So it just feels like his positioning changed a bit to me, even if it is, even if he is slotted in in the same number, even if you felt like coming into spring. You know, I think he's this number, and he confirmed it. It feels more solid to me. He felt like a question mark, and now I look at him, and I'm like, oh, that guy has some nice tools. I could see them figuring out a way to get the ball in his hands and for him to be, you know, really effective and really good for them, possibly. And, you know, obviously coming into the spring, I wasn't sold on that at all. He was just another receiver that they had and a guy that, you know, we were waiting to see what he could do. So, it. it, it changed how i viewed him even though i always thought he had talent and i had seen him do impressive things you know in practice or whatever else uh it it changed my impression of him and i feel like he could be something really special for them and that is a surprise to me because i'm not sure i believed that before the spring he wasn't one of these guys i was looking at so closely and thinking you know he's going to show that
1: yeah I, i like it it's a good pick Last fall, I didn't pay a lot of attention to him because he got there in the summer and just didn't have a good handle of everything, which is hard to do right away. Some people do it, but a lot don't, and uh, he just didn't get a lot of reps, and it was evident that he was in the red shirt, and then he was relegated to the scout team, which I do follow in practice, but... I'm spending a lot more of my time monitoring the rotation with the first team and the second team and the guys that are that are involved in the game plan. So with Vale's Jones not that I'd forgotten about him, but I've been pretty far removed from what I've seen him be able to do. He has a I think a somewhat rare blend of size and speed, where he runs like a track guy, but he's bigger. He's a legitimate six feet, probably two hundred and five pounds. So built almost like Rojo, and and runs like Rojo, but I mean he's a, a little bit different, obviously being a receiver. Usually those guys are, they're thinner or they're shorter. Bailey's is a is not a small receiver. He's he's not tall either, of course, but He's just he's compact, and and so he, he can play with the physicality too. We saw him make some plays downfield, fifty-fifty balls, um, but he, and he plays at another speed and. He's probably the one of the, the players I'm, I'm more curious about for the season. I, I feel like I've seen enough in practice. I want to see how he'll play in a game. And the spring game would have been nice for that. He did have a couple plays there, and you could see that his speed was at another level than a lot of other people. But, again, because I, they were playing at about three-quarters speed, I, I don't want to make a big deal out of anything that happened in that spring game. You, you never know how someone's speed will translate in a game. We've seen people before that practice very fast but don't play fast. It's just different when it's real and my hunch is that he's gonna play fast. I, I think that he's forcing his way into the rotation um, it's still unclear exactly what the pecking order is at receiver. Valus primarily is used in the slot, but also out of the backfield. And this would all be a lot easier if their best receiver also wasn't playing that position. If Deontay Burnett were a true outside guy, then i put my money on Valus starting and being maybe an every-down receiver. It's going to be hard for him to do that if Deontay's taking most of the work there. I think Deontay can play outside too, but I don't think that can be his primary spot. I think that's going to be a tough load for him to carry. He's not a real big guy. Um, he's not as big as Valis. Deontay weighs 172, he told me, as of last week. And you know they're about the same height. I just think that he'd have a hard time dealing with that on a down-in, down-out basis. So if you're putting him in the slot, then you have to get more creative with Bayless. And that's what the the offensive staff will be tasked with, figuring out what to do with their receivers and how to line them up and how to get both those guys on the field regularly. But I really like what he did. He started out hot, maybe faded a little bit in the second half, although he did finish well. Um, so I I don't know what his role is yet. That, that's the hard part with him. I can't project him. I can't say they vale Jones is good for 50 catches next year because I don't know how much he's going to play. But I think he can play good football. I think he's ready to play good football now. And uh, I think that he'll probably be in the running as a returner. Maybe both kickoff return and punt return.
2: So who's your biggest surprise then, Adam, Maya? They're looking good. We can go with that. You're fine with that? Yeah, I like it. Are you you sure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Official. I'm going to... It's official. I'm going to defer to you on the next one anyway, even though I think that um, everybody in the universe could guess uh, this this one. I really do. Everyone. Um, yeah, including my mom, because she's a regular listener to the show. So I think my mom would get it right, too. Uh, best red shirt freshman. I think that everybody would just even even if it is closer than people think, I just feel like everybody would trend this way. Uh, I'm not going to give away hmm. my pick, but, you know, Adam you who do you think it is?
1: I have a feeling that we have very different people in mind. Uh, wow. My pick for the best redshirt freshman in spring is Carrie Angeline, the tight end. I thought that he was fantastic <laughs> through all five weeks. Uh, Daniel Imitorbebe was limited for the entirety of spring. He had, he had a shoulder injury in which... If they had a game he would play through but because they didn't they kept him in a yellow jersey non-contact and Kerry did a lot of what I thought Daniel would do making plays downfield catching everything he's a really big target a bigger target than both Kyler Petit and Daniel Maturbebe knows how to use body downfield really drawing the attention of all three quarterbacks i think that's when you can believe in it when you see whatever quarterback he's working with because you know he would work with the ones but he would also work with the twos and then he would work with jack steers as well which i don't know that that was necessarily a third string because i don't know that they had that many players but um maybe a mix of twos and threes Kerry was working a lot because tyler petite also was limited for parts of spring. So, he got more reps than he could have asked for. And he was probably targeted about as much as any receiver. So, I was I'm, I'm, I'm really falling for him, for his skill set. Um, it was hard to judge in terms of, of blocking where he's at. I, I did talk to Baxter about it, and... He seemed like he, he said that, that Angeline was fine. Clay, in one of his rare critiques, said that he stands to grow as a run blocker, which is probably the case. You would expect that. So I, I feel like if nothing else, he put himself in position to compete with Tyler Petit as a second tight end. Daniel Mature Baby is going to be their feature tight end but you don't play one tight end the entire game also USC likes to use two tight ends we're seeing more and more of it and I think this guy has to be on the field I I think that they want to put him on the field I think that he built that confidence Um, it's going to be competitive because Tyler Petit can do a lot of the same things that Kerry Angeline can do Um, But I think Petit still has more to prove as well. Um, And he's going to have to prove it in games, maybe not so much in practice. And, of course, Terry hasn't played yet. So look for that to be a storyline early in the year, Uh, the the competition at tight end between the two of them. But, um, yeah, that's my best redshirt freshman. There were probably a handful of guys that I thought – were worth considering, but Carrie to me was uh, also a big surprise and um for me a, a somewhat easy choice as the best redshirt freshman.
2: And see, like everyone in the universe, I read your coverage this spring and I thought it was pretty clear who you're gonna pick. And best you true freshman
1: pick him. Oh yeah. Okay. What about your and your mom? Would have she thinks I'm going with Carrie? (laughs)
2: Because she reads your coverage and knows exactly what you're thinking. You've loved Carrie Angeline this spring. It's been very apparent. I don't know if you've noticed that, but
1: yeah, no, I have. And I I want to tell people too that I don't I don't play favorites. You know, I mean, it it could have been anybody. Um, it I wasn't expecting it to be Carrie Angeline. That's the way that the coaches pronounce the name, so I think that's right. I, I always said Angeline, but they say Angeline, so I'm going to go that way with it from now on. I'm trying to...
2: They probably know.
1: T- yeah, I'm trying to train myself to pronounce it correctly. Um, but with Kerry, I, I did like him last year in the fall, but then, of course, he redshirted and was on a scout team. So I just came in with an open mind gear and I feel like he's really good (laughs) i mean we we know what i think of daniel imiterbebe and now i and now i I see carrie as you know number two i i think he's our second best tight end we'll see
2: and i'll also point out As you say that you don't play favorites and i totally believe that that for those that thought that you played favorites for ronald jones because uh that was usually the player that you got accused of loving the most that might have only been by a few users but we haven't mentioned him yet have we so there you go adam loves everyone believe it he he does he really does he loves everybody uh, best true freshman, I think, is even more obvious than best redshirt freshman, possibly. But go ahead, Adam, surprise me. Yeah, but this you one
1: all. your mom should know, or she. My does mom does attention. know.
2: My mom actually asked me about this player during Easter. Oh, uh,
1: did she ask you how to pronounce his name, or what did she ask?
2: She knows not to ask me how to pronounce people's names.
1: Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, if I didn't give it away already, it's uh, defensive tackle Marlon Chui Pelotu. Who, in a matter of a few weeks, looked like their second best defensive lineman. And a spoiler alert on my standouts from spring practice, he was their best defensive lineman in spring. I'm not saying that he's already better than Rasheem Green, but he had a better spring than Rasheem Green. Marlon is really strong. We knew that coming in. He has a wrestling background, which, you know, just gives him, I guess, like a a unique set of skills for that position. And uh, he's really good with his leverage. Uh, But what what I was surprised with is that he's really quick. A lot of times when when high school kids come in and they're that big, and that's not new to me, I mean – I worked a lot in Orange County, and you know between offensive linemen and defensive linemen, there's some big guys down there. there. There are a lot of players that play over 300 in the Trinity League, so I'm used to seeing that at that age from a 17-year-old. Marlon wasn't unique in that way, but they're usually pretty slow, which, you know, they, they just they need time, they need getting a weight room, they need to kind of build their muscle and cut some of the fat, Marley looks like he's ready to go. You know, and I, I, I almost cringe saying that about a freshman defensive lineman. I think that that position is probably the, the toughest to come into and play for a true freshman uh, right there alongside offensive line. I mean, maybe, maybe it's right behind offensive line. I mean, you can argue that. It's one or the other, really, um, from a physical standpoint. I mean, quarterback is a whole different deal. But physically, to, to play on the, on the defensive line and be good as a, a true freshman, I mean, those guys are rare. Those guys are special. And so I, I don't want to go too far with, with what I'm saying here. But the way that he practiced, he looked better than the guys around him. And he was beating these offensive linemen that have been there for a couple of years, even if they don't have a lot of experience. He was consistent. Uh, a lot of times with freshmen, maybe they'll, they'll have a great week and then they'll kind of fall off. And I felt like he was getting better. I will not say got better every day. That's just too cliche. But... I think he was consistently good and was playing better in the second half than he was in the first half. So he's someone that's going to play. How much, how good, we don't know yet. But um, he was another fairly easy call for for an award. That's true freshman.
2: We've had a few easy calls. And we haven't taken less than 10 minutes to talk about anything. It's okay. It's a good show, I think. I think. Adam. Yeah. Best competition. This is one that I think is intriguing. And I might totally be wrong. But I'm always intrigued by competition. So I want to hear what you have to say. I have my pick. You might agree. But go ahead. Okay. Best competition.
1: Yeah, I am looking forward to a few of them. And it was a bit anticlimactic. I'll give you an example week Doug linebacker John Houston took basically every first team rep, and I don't feel like he was really pushed. Um, even Jack Jones I thought there'd be competition at cornerback, and there was a little bit Isaiah Langley uh showed some things where I think you know they, they feel better about rotating with him. Um, and he even he did get some first team reps, although it appeared like they might have been sending Jack a message at some point. But I don't think it was very competitive there. Um, defensive line, I I thought that um, it'd be very competitive, and really I thought Marling kind of won going away over uh, Josh Fatu and Jacob Daniel. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the fall there because Kenny Bigelow will come back and the way I did my get chart I only listed two down linemen because for the majority of the first team reps that's how they were lined up with two down linemen and then the two outstrike backers which are you know typically occupied by Porter Gustin and Echenna but uh with the second team, they would run three down linemen. So they they do do both, and they will do both, but they run so much nickel that I I I put it down as more of a a four two five rather than a five two. Um, and I got Marlin, what uh, you know, won that decidedly. So where I get the competition. And I think it's still open, uh, very open, and probably uh, something that we're going to be talking about a lot in the fall is wide receiver. It seemed like each week there was a different guy that was the best guy that week. And we saw Valis, we saw Tyler Vaughn, Michael Pittman, all have their week. At the same time, <laughs> they, would, they would come down as well, where they, they might have had a bad week or they you know, might have struggled. Um, they, were, they were all a bit inconsistent, and they're still young. You know, Even Michael Pittman, I know he didn't redshirt, but he didn't play a lot of receiver last year, so he's really not ahead of those other guys, especially not now with spring. Maybe he came in the spring a little bit ahead, but now I would say they're about in the same place. Gianci Burnett, to me, was clearly their best receiver when he was on the field, but he missed maybe about a third of spring with varying injuries. So it did give opportunity for these other guys to play. We saw a bit of Josh Imatorbebe, and he flashed. And he's someone who is intriguing and I think has a chance to uh, to fight for playing time. I definitely think he's in the mix. Um, and I mean, you still have Steven Mitchell coming back in the fall, of course. And, you know, he'll have something to say about who's doing what at receiver. Jalen Green worked with the first team, I think, every day. And I thought that was a bit surprising. They ended up rotating Vaughns and Pittman. Even though I thought Vaughns and Pittman were a little bit better than Green. They just kept Green there. And I wonder if that will hold. My feeling is that it won't. But I don't know that. Green is a veteran. Although he hasn't played a ton of receiver either. I just found that curious unless they believe that he was playing better than the other guys I could just be wrong um, and I'm sure he has a better handle of the play but he, I know that he does because you know he was a quarterback so that might have a lot to do with it right now um, I think the freshman receivers that are coming in are going to have a chance to win playing time so it's going to be hard to, it's hard to project who the starters will be right now. I think more of them will play than they did a year ago, where last year it was a lot of just Juju and Garius and Burnett. I think we're going to see five, six guys playing. But uh, who's going to be playing in crunch time? It's Gianke and then I'm not sure. So that that's, I think, uh, the most competitive spot that we witnessed in spring and i anticipate that will continue in the fall
2: i'm surprised that i'm you know not the negative nancy here i actually thought even though some of these competitions weren't competitive i thought that a lot of them were actually very fascinating so i totally get your point i picked receiver two that i think that's kind of the number one the obvious choice but I thought there were some fascinating competitions, even if they weren't competitive uh, in some spots. I, I think that we learned a lot. So that was my point before the question, I guess. But I get I get where you're coming from. Adam. Yeah. yeah. Biggest answered question. What are you thinking for this? Biggest answered question. Okay. Yeah. This, is, question... this is an interesting one, I think.
1: Yeah, the, the question that we had... Uh, one of the questions that we had coming in spring that I felt looked to be best answered by what happened in spring was the defense as a whole. Um, a lot has been made of Quenten Pendergast coming back and being and everybody being in year two and working in that system, and I think that that is a is huge. I think that's a big reason why we saw that improvement, although. A couple years ago, once upon a time, Justin Wilcox came back in and it was year two, and he was returning a lot of the same players. and uh, you know he people thought maybe his team was a bit complicated and wondered if you know if players were having a hard time grasping it. and well, he's gone on and, and been successful. You know, obviously he had a, a great year at Wisconsin last year, and now he's the head coach of Cal. He's doing something right. Um, I felt like what we saw on the defense, especially where there, there were departures, you look at inside linebacker, and they lost Michael Hutchings and you know, Quentin Powell to a lesser extent, and then in the defensive backfield, Adoree and Leon McQuay, and of course on the defensive line, Scooby Tui Kolovato. And individually, you know that you're you're not going to just make up for Tui Kolovato with one guy, or a Dory with one guy. And, and maybe even Hutchins is going to be hard to you just plug in and get what you got from him. I, I, he had a really good year last year. We didn't expect it going into the year, but it happened. And I think it was a, you know, maybe just underrated, but it, definitely a reason why the defense performed as well as it did last year. And, and you look at the Rose Bowl, to, you know, if you're if you're wondering. I mean, I thought Hutchings was good for most of the year, but... He had a huge role in that game. They don't win that game without him. Or McCoy, you know. And of course, the other two I mentioned as well. So, what we saw from the defense, I think, is more depth. Um, more players that are going to be rotated. I don't think that Clancy's just going to change his nature. I think he's always going to lean toward a set group of guys. But where people need a breather and need to come off the field, I think that he has more trust for the options. And, and not just because he has to, but because he'll want to. I think they're, they're strong at linebacker. Um, and, and they're going to bring in some freshmen that maybe can add to that as well. Um, I think on the defensive line... They don't just have bodies, but you think of a guy like Christian Rector who, when recruited, you wondered, would he play at all? Would he ever play? He's going to play. And I think he, he might play well. He, he practiced really well. He was he was probably their second best defensive lineman in spring. He, <laughs> he, he showed up, I would say, almost every day. Um and you know again it's something that we have to see in game at that position, but um but there there were a couple guys like that you you know what you get with Rasheem. um I'm really interested in seeing in true freshman going come in on the line because I think that there's an open mind there to play different guys, but um. But anyway, I, I feel like the defensive line, while they're missing their star, um, is going to be deeper and going to be fresher and can be more effective over the course of a game because they're going to be rotating more. And then the defensive backfield is probably their, their strongest area of the defense, which is what you want in the pac twelve. I think that they can be the best secondary in the Pac twelve. Um, I mean Chris Hawkins basically ended any competition at safety. Marvel Kell uh took a step forward for sure. I thought Biggie was dominant this spring. And then Jack Jones was right behind him. So they were plugging in people at different spots that, that hadn't played much or hadn't played at all. And I, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be a little bit better on defense.
2: Wow. What an in-depth analysis. Are we on to biggest question mark? Yeah. That's like our last award, huh? This isn't a good award, though. This isn't well, it's like It's not an really award. an award.
1: It's more of an observation.
2: Yeah, so we're done with the awards. Yeah, get ready for our one observation before we move on to the next segment. Who's our Who's our observed problem? I guess sorry, person that we're picking.
1: Well, it's not a person; it's a unit, and it's the offensive line. Um, What you were able to surmise from watching on TV has been apparent all spring. Uh, it's really incomplete. It isn't so much that they have their their top five and they don't look good. That that's not what what was happening. Their top five never play together. It and you know they they won't until until training camp, which is an issue right there. But first, you have to identify who the top five are, and I don't feel like we're much closer to knowing that now than we were you know, a month and a half ago.
2: I agree. I agree. I think that's the obvious choice. I think everybody in the universe, as I've said before, was on board with that one. Adam J. Maya. Yeah. Thank you for your awards. I know I had one, <laughs> but great job. Really appreciate yeah. it. thought that was a great segment. This when could when be a show. Funny, let me tell you oh, something ahead. funny.
1: Yeah, before you move on, because I know you're going to move on, but um, on the video board during the scrimmage, they showed the projected starter for the offensive line, <laughs> which I thought was kind of weird and even unfair, <laughs> but uh, because you're including people that haven't even participated in spring, but uh, just so everybody knows, they listed... Schumacher at left tackle. And then Toa Lobengon at left guard. Nico Fala at center. Vianney Calameval at right guard. And then you want to guess who the right tackle was?
2: I have no idea. I want you to educate me on this one.
1: It was Chris Brown, who.
2: Interesting.
1: Took, he took the bulk of the first team reps over the final three weeks. And I'm not sure if that's why they put him there or because they're convinced that he's going to be the best guy for that position. Of course, we asked about that. Not so much about the video board, but about that spot, about Chris Brown. And it it did not seem like any decisions have been made. Um, I had a good talk with Toa about what he thinks he'll be doing. Um, he said, you know, he's open and he's always been open for them and he's basically played everywhere but right tackle. And I wasn't surprised actually because I've been telling people this. He doesn't want to play right tackle. He hasn't played it. He doesn't want to do it. Now, if they want him to do it or they put him over there, he's going to do it. But because he feels that way, And because he's never done it, I don't think he's going to end up there. I think he'll be the left guard. Fala had said a couple weeks ago that because of a herniated distance back, he was thinking about moving to right tackle and getting off of center. But apparently his back has been feeling much better uh, later in spring. And he played, he practiced more than he thought he would at center over the final two weeks. So, and we did follow up with him and he said, I think I'm going to be okay. I'm going to play center. So he might've just had a fear uh, at that, you know, that one time that we talked to him. And, and now it's subsided, but I I expect Miko to be in the middle. And because of that, I think Toa is going to play left guard. I think. That's where he was best at, even though it was a few years ago. But I think he's better suited to play guard, to play inside. Um, you know, he, I know he feels that way as well. We know that Bianca Val is the right guard. And Chuma, because right now he's their best tackle, he's going to play left tackle. Until, in, unless someone shows that they're better than him, which didn't happen. So, they they might be set with those four. You know as much as they can be without the four of them having worked together at the same time. I mean they have experience. They're not they're not rookies. They just haven't been able to to work in those spot together, which you want and you know will happen in a couple months. So it, it might just be right tackle that they have to figure out in terms of their top five. And there's really a handful of people that can do it. It can it can be Chris Brown, it can be Roy Hempley, it can be Clayton Johnston, it can be Andrew Voorhees, the freshman, it can be Nathan Smith who's also coming up of the Torn I C L. I don't even have a guess right now as to who would be. I mean, if they had a game right now, then I, I my guess would be Chris Brown. But I'm not predicting that he'll win that job by the end of training camp. Not because I have someone else in mind. I don't. Um, in fact, the, the other guy, you know, the, the wild card maybe in all this is E.J. Price, uh, who, you know, there's nothing new to report on him. As I mentioned, I think, or reported two months ago, Um, he wants to get back on the team he's at USC in school and you know it it remains to be seen whether that will happen and that wouldn't become official until training camp so
2: we've been first yeah We've been first to report everything that has happened with E.J. Price since the beginning of things happening with E.J. Price. I would anticipate that we're the first to report what happens with him coming. You know, if he does come back or doesn't, I'm sure we'll get it first. If Maybe we won't, but I'm pretty confident we will. We'll definitely report it as soon as it happens. That's my point. So if you're wondering what's going on with E.J. Price, remember that Trojansports.com is the place to be for every update, and we'll have all the latest because Adam has just been – Destroying everybody, getting updates, and actually, I guess I destroyed some people too with my EJ Price update. Uh, yeah, including. Yeah, you broke. You, know. you
1: broke that he got kicked off the team. <laughs> I did,
2: and I upset some people, but that's okay because I break news, so it's all good. Um, Adam. Yeah. What a great segment once again. I just want to say <laughs> that great segment. Appreciate you. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move right on uh, actually right before we move on i want to also say that what i appreciate most about your coverage and i think that we just saw this so i want to point it out adam took what usc is putting out there and he didn't just accept it he broke it down he analyzed it he's not sure he went against the program a little bit and gave his opinion and i think that that's what. You know, we all need because everybody that was there saw that starting lineup. I'm sure it's been put out there, uh, you know, by others. But, Adam, I appreciate you giving your thoughts. I think that while some people in this industry might be a lap dog for the school, you're more of a lap alligator. And that's what we need hmm. is we need all somebody, right. you know, that's given their opinion is a little bit aggressive with it, too. I like that part of it as well. So uh, let's move on to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey. We really do appreciate it. So, uh, but let's move on to recruiting. Why not my yeah. expertise a little bit? Uh, really brief, just something really brief. There's always things going on with recruiting. Obviously, there was a huge list of recruits at the spring game. We have we had an expected visitors list before that went out. Uh, Still. So, worth checking out a lot of big names were there we have uh, you know the start of the evaluation period was today we have a list of all the high schools we expect USC to be at there's a lot of recruiting coverage on the site there always is even throughout spring ball I pro- you know I took pride in the fact that we didn't only cover spring ball Uh, better than everybody else did. But we also covered recruiting uh, to the max during that time. I didn't see that everywhere else. I always take pride in our recruiting coverage. Uh, But I want to point something else uh, out because I think that this is probably the biggest news um, coming up this week, uh, possibly even of the year so far, depending on what positions you love. The year? I'm saying depending on what positions you love in recruiting because there's obviously been a lot of big things happening with recruiting this year. But if you love big, beefy defensive tackles, which I know that, you know, everybody on our board does. Um, uh, Tuli Gasanoa from Concord, California, De La Salle announced today on Twitter that he will be making a commitment on Sunday, April 23rd. Uh, he was at USC spring game this weekend. Uh, we actually broke the news that he was going to be at that spring game. I got him way before anybody else did, and he uh, told me that he was committed to going. Um, Well, I'm going to break some other news for you right now, and it's not breaking because he's not announcing it, but it basically is breaking it because of my confidence level in this. USC is going to get this kid. Uh, If you're a member of Trojansports.com, you would have known that first. Uh, I I talked to a source today that told me. I also predicted it before I talked to the source because I was very confident in it uh, before I was told that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. This kid's going to commit to USC on Sunday. Enjoy. Uh, big deal. Rivals 250 defensive tackle. It's always a huge deal for USC's classes when they hit on those kids and get the defensive tackles because I really think that's the difference between USC being uh, an 8-4 team, 9-3 and three team, and being an undefeated national championship type team is when they have the defensive line. And uh, they've been building it in recent years. Uh, they're continuing to in this class because it looks like they're going to add Uh, This kid, huge deal. I think he's ranked 130th or something like that in the country. And, uh, yeah, I expect him on Sunday to commit to USC. I said that on the message board. We also ran a free article uh, with predictions from me, from Adam Gorney, from Mike Singer. Uh, Everybody predicted USC. Uh, The other ones weren't as confident as I am. They're looking at Oregon, UCLA, thinking there are potential problems. I'm thinking he's a Trojan for sure. But, Remember to sign up for our site because if you do, you know all this stuff first. Uh, We're we're first to a lot of things, and uh, we're very confident that USC is going to add a big-time defensive lineman in the the coming days, I guess, because he's committing on Sunday. So just wanted to mention that on the podcast to make sure that you guys are looking at our site and uh, keeping up to date with everything because if you're not subscribed, you really are missing out on a lot. I guarantee it. Okay, good news. Great news. So let's move. Is this our final segment? Yeah,
1: we're we're only an hour and a half in.
2: Whoa. This could have been six shows. It probably would have been if it was anywhere else, but we like to go hard and go long. Um, Questions from the message board. We put this up a while ago. We let it marinate a bit. Uh, We picked five. Uh, The five, uh, they were all great. I'm going to say the ones that really stood out to us, though, maybe... Um, so I'm going to read them off, and I'm going to let Adam answer them all while I sit back and do nothing. No. <laughs> w. Humphrey 1 uh, is our first question asker. And I also want to mention that everybody went much into more detail in these questions, and they're all football geniuses. I just want you to know that since we didn't uh, give them the time to state that they're football geniuses. But Adam, W. Humphrey 1 asks... Who do you project to be the starting wide receivers in which positions, uh, X, Z, and slot? Adam, I know you released that beautiful projected depth chart. I'm sure you're standing behind it. Who? But who do you project as the three starting wide receivers?
1: Well, I'm reading the question a little bit differently than what I did. I was projecting them coming out of spring practice based on being there in – the way that they rotated and my conversation with coaches and players. But um, my projection for, let's say, the opener, okay, which it's very early, but I think that's what you're asking me. So my projection at receiver would be Deontay Burnett in the slot and then on the outside, Tyler Vaughn and Michael Pittman. Wow. Yeah.
2: I get it. I think uh, Vaughn's made a move this spring. I think we all saw that happen. I think that uh, Michael Pittman's always been a guy they're looking at because he's the guy that didn't redshirt. I know that they had some different reasonings for that, but that's what I think. And Burnett's the guy coming back. Uh, So I'm kind of with you on that. I actually completely agree. I just wonder if because of Jones's speed, if they if they just decide that they have to get him on the field, and then that makes me wonder, okay, are they going to bump Deontay Burnett, who's Mr. Consistency, uh, at that slot position, or are they going to split their reps up a little bit, or are they just going to say, you know what, we'll be a little bit shorter than normal. We need that extra speed, and maybe they go with Pittman or Vaughn's on the outside and they just go smaller at receiver. I don't really see them doing that because I don't think that's what USC does. I, I haven't seen that. Um, I can't even remember the last time I see that. It seems like they always kind of favor those really tall receivers on the outside. So I'm actually, I'm gonna completely agree with your projection. Adam Maya. I think that Pittman is going to get a job. I think Vaughns has really been impressive. I see him taking the other outside spot, even though there's some other guys there. And then I just think you have to, Deontay Burnett has to be a spot. You know, he has to be a guy. And I think you're right on when you said earlier, he seems like a slot. It seems like that's where he fits best. And so, yeah, I'm agreeing with you completely uh, on this question. I know that's not exactly exciting, but it's what we do sometimes. All right. Deez nuts 55 who has been back on our board for a while, but I really don't think he's been asking questions recently, and he used to be a regular on our show. So um, if I'm mistaken, I apologize. But if I'm not, welcome back to Deez nuts 55 we're, we're excited to hear from you as always. He asked, what are the odds uh, Price makes it back into the mix come fall camp, and do you see any transfers coming our way?
1: <laughs> well, let me answer the, the bell on that one.
2: I, I think, hung up that phone, and it's still ringing.
1: Yeah, it's probably a telemarketer.
2: Um, no one else calls <laughs> me at the, at the house phone number. I'll tell you that. So
1: Okay. Um, with DJ with Price, I think the odds are, are decent. Um, I'm not confident to say that they're great. I think he's coming back. That's, that's my guess. My guess is that, you know, why would he still be there if he wasn't coming back? I think he's coming back. But uh, and it's something that I'm always looking into and I'm going to follow up on. Um, I wish I had something more concrete right now, but I don't. And uh, all I can say is that I think he's coming back. That's been my thought for a while. Um, with transfers, they have room to bring in a transfer, like a graduate transfer. Uh, they could sure use one at offensive tackle um i don't I don't know of one right now that's coming um at the same time a year ago right now, we didn't know about Stevie tuey so it's still I guess early in a sense because basically those guys are finishing their their term you know either a quarter or a semester at their respective university, and they you know, they they might not have decided whether they're leaving yet. They might be finishing spring practice and seeing how things shake out for them there. Um so those things sometimes uh aren't apparent. Not everybody announces that stuff in the new year. You know, it can it can happen in the summer and uh and of course they would love to find someone I think like Kiwi Kolaku for the offensive line. Someone that's yeah. ready to to be a full-time guy and, and be good, but uh, I you know that's something also that we would report if we had anything.
2: Adam, you're you're dead on uh, actually uh, with your analysis of it because I think it's a little bit different in years past where, like you mentioned, they don't have so they don't have a lot of spots. It Seems like that might affect recruiting the next year possibly if you know not enough guys leave or whatever. So I think that when years past we saw them. You know, willing to take graduate transfers at multiple positions because they needed that depth. They needed somebody else at multiple spots. Um, That's not the case this year. I've actually asked about specific positions, and there were spots that uh, I would have guessed that they would have taken a graduate transfer at uh, along the defensive line. For interest, for example, I asked them if they're interested in Scott Pagano, a couple other guys, and the answer was no. They they were not interested in adding a graduate transfer along. The defensive line, Uh, but the offensive line is a different story. And I think you're right on. I think if the right person came along uh, for that scenario, I think they definitely would jump on it. As for EJ Price, I think you're right on too. I I feel like uh, things are trending towards him coming back because I think about like you mentioned. Why would he still be there? If he felt like it was a challenge, an uphill battle for him to get back to the team, he would have moved on already because he's an incredibly talented football player. He's a guy that a lot of people had interest in. I mean, he had off he was choosing from Oklahoma, Georgia, USC, you know, all these top schools. He could go to junior college and figure out a path to be successful in college football. I would say quite easily, especially from what I saw from him when he was a freshman. I thought he was incredible for a freshman, and I feel like, you know, give that guy a few years, he's probably starting most places and playing at a very high level. Uh, so I feel like he feels like USC is the easiest path back for him. That would be my impressions of what's, ha- of what's going on there, and also the fact that USC just needs him too badly, and uh, there's a window open for him, obviously, to come back, and they need him, and to me, that when it makes too much sense, it's going to happen. I don't know why usc would chase away a guy with that much talent um obviously there were some issues uh, but nothing bad enough you know that it was a problem he you know he wasn't he wasn't uh you know committing crimes or anything like that it wasn't that bad so to me it just feels like hey if i'm a big time college football program and i really need tackles and there's a guy at school who, you know, made a mistake but is fighting to get back and is is taking certain steps to get back, I want him back. And if that's the case, I'm thinking it's going to happen.
1: Um, Aaron Cochran was a uh, Cal grad transfer who just recently announced that he's going to be going to Oklahoma State. That was someone that I figured USC would probably look at and maybe they did consider, but apparently he's not coming not coming here so um we'll we'll keep an eye on that um it's a good question and uh i've been thinking for a while now that they would be in the market for that and um with what we saw in spring i i think it's probably only more more so that they want that
2: yeah i'm totally with you on to our third question of five We're flying through these, Adam. This is the quickest segment we've ever done. Trojan Moniker asks, and I want you to answer this because I I really don't have an answer for it. I want you to answer it. Oh, no, you answer. Do you think Clay Helton has trouble benching older players in favor of younger ones? Adam, please, (laughs) please answer. I really... I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure where this is because most coaches, I would say definitely no but i really i can't think of that instance you know it seemed like with the previous coaching staff there were a couple instances right where we were like oh yeah they're they're definitely favoring that younger guy that they recruited um i don't i can't really think of too many here i also can't really think of an older player you know that was really benefited from a scenario like that outside of max brown possibly but i'm not really sure that's what was behind it was clay helton's inability uh, to bench older guys, but I want to get your take on it because uh, I I I would say no. I'd say he doesn't have a problem with that, but I'm sure that there are some examples I'm forgetting. Uh, so, in line, may please, Adam.
1: Uh, I mean, I can either lie or I can look bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I think that's been a challenge for him. Um, and I kind of expected that last year. Uh, We talked a lot about him becoming a head coach. And it's so different from being a coordinator or being an assistant coach where you just basically give your input to the head coach, you report to him, and you build up your position and your guys. But the final call is being made by someone else. Now Clay has to do that. Now, I mean, I think he definitely uh, leaves a lot of the defense and those decisions to Clancy Pendergast. Offensively, um, it falls on him. And I think, you know, that's that's been hard as a new coach. I think it's something that, you know, it takes some getting used to. Um, And, you know, it. I think people often like to compare him to to Carroll and when Carroll got here which doesn't work for me because Carroll had been an NFL coach before he came to USC a couple times over and he'd been in the NFL for a long time and so he's got a very different temperament been in college his whole life. Dealing with with teenagers and you know, guys in their early twenties, guys that are in school. So, um, I think that it, it's probably something that you learn in time. It doesn't come easy. I think that uh, it's something that I, he'll he'll I expect he'll make better decisions moving forward. Um, if people are probably wondering, for an example. Uh and if you if if I if I'm not gonna say picking Max Brown over Sam Darnold because I feel like that's probably the elephant in the room here. Um how about the the distribution of carries to Ronald Jones last year? I feel like that that was a problem at that time. Um, I don't know. that like there are a lot of glaring examples, um, but Gianke Burnett probably could have played more last year in the first half of the season. Um, he really started to play more out of necessity when Stephen Mitchell went down. Um, but Gianke was—I mean, he ended up having as many catches as Gary Rogers, even though he played maybe, you know, three-fourths as much. And he was only, at, I believe, he was within 10 catches of Juju. And also, you know, not playing nearly as many reps. So, you know, Gante De- was someone that, um, if you watched him practice, uh, after, after his first year, if you watched him practice last year, last spring, last fall, it was apparent that he was really good, that he was going to outperform maybe the, the projections and the rankings that he had coming out of high school and even you know the, the attention he got in recruiting. And now he is in position to be their best receiver. And uh, he just started, like, what, five games? So there are a couple examples of that. Um, but again, it's hard to know things until you see people play in games. I, I I realize that practice can't be your... Unless they haven't played. That, that was my whole thing with Brown and Darnold. Because Brown hadn't played a meaningful snap and then Darnold had only redshirted. I felt like they should have been considered at a more even playing field. But it, it they treated Brown like he was way ahead. And he got every first-team rep last spring. And then he got the majority of them in the fall. So I never felt like they were looking at them, uh, you know, the clean slate, even though they hadn't played in games, but when when guys have have not played, then you know then practice becomes really your your best source of information. Um, and I just feel like there's a couple examples here, like I mentioned, Burnett, Rojo, Darnold, where um, I think it was a challenge. For Helton to, to not be partial to the veteran. At that permission.
2: See, we don't see we don't necessarily see eye to eye with that because I'm not sure that there's enough examples to to lean that way. I get that the Max Brown Sam Darnold one is a big enough example that I get why people think that. But that's why it's a good question and that's why it's a good show. So, uh, because Adam and I don't agree on everything. So, I'm going to jump right in to David Law's question. Because David Law, well, he's basically become a regular on these question shows because he's created a fun little game that Adam and I like to play. It's called Draft the Trojans. And David Law says, gentlemen, it's back to playing Draft the Trojans. Last time was the defensive backfield. That was a fun one. So, let's go with the receivers this time. Wide receivers and tight ends, just to clarify Adam, I'll let you go first because I know who you're going to pick and I'm going to pick somebody else. So go ahead.
1: Remember, we get their whole USC career, meaning not just from this point forward, but whatever they might have done already until they leave USC. Okay? The totality of their college career. This is hard. I've been thinking about it. Uh, I don't think you know who I'm going to pick. Cause I don't know. I do. Or I, no, I do. I didn't do. know who I'm going to pick. Okay. I do. Um, let me. I'll give my answer first, and you can tell me if you knew it. Don't um, you want me to
2: pick for you, and then you can tell me if I'm right or wrong? Because that seems no, 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 no. like... Okay, go <laughs> ahead. I know who okay. it is, though.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm still looking right now. I Even right now, I'm debating in my head who it should be.
2: Okay, well, he plays tight end, so... Yeah. That, sh- that should give you a big hint on who you're going to pick first.
1: Yeah, so... I, I'm i debating between Deontay Burnett and Daniel Imator And I do want to say Daniel. Because I think Daniel can be an All-American at tight end. But because I think... They both might have the same amount of time left in their career. I'm gonna pick Deontay Burnett. Wow. Yeah.
2: Wow. I don't even. I don't even know what to do. I almost feel like okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought you were gonna pick Daniel Amortabebe, and I had another pick lined up, and I was yeah. like gonna talk about why I feel confident or whatever. But uh-huh. I'm almost thinking I should take Daniel Amortabebe number two just because. It's such a value pick now. I could get two and three. No, you know what? I'm going to leave him on the board for you. I'm going to go with Michael Pittman. I'm going okay. to go with Michael Pittman. And this is why. And I and I get this is a little bit risky. Maybe if I was, you know, an NFL draft guy, I'd pick Daniel Emer because he's done it on the field already. And I've seen it and I get that feeling. And I think he has that amazing potential that you talked about as well. But I just feel like wide receivers that are Michael Pittman's size don't fail in college. It just doesn't happen i I know that it does sometimes but just feels like it usually doesn't they're usually always good players and i think about what i've seen out of him and how impressed i've been with him and how he's a borderline five-star wide receiver in high school i thought he should have been and he hasn't even been playing the position that long so i feel like he's gonna continue to take these leaps and bounds and and i just expect him uh to eventually be something really really special and i could see him being a wide receiver that people go oh wow michael Pittman you know, he's one of the best wide receivers we've had in recent memory or something like that. And I would feel silly taking a tight end over that guy at the end of the day, if that does happen. So I'm going to go with Michael Pittman here.
1: Okay. I'm going to go with Daniel McTherbeve.
2: That's a smart pick too. Uh, I think the world of him. Uh, So next I'm actually, I'm going to take Tyler Vaughn's. I, I, Probably wouldn't have before spring. I was a little bit, uh, I would say, now I don't want to say down on Tyler Vons, but I I thought less of him than everybody else did, I will say. Everybody you I were skeptical. Was, I was very skeptical. That's the word to use. Everybody I felt like was very high on him. I wanted him to prove it to me. I felt like this spring he's done a fantastic job. I see a, a bright future for him. Um, I'll take Tyler Vaughn. He's still young. I I think he could do something really special at USC. And he he proved it to me this spring because I I did not, I felt like he could do that. I didn't feel as confident that he would do that Uh, before the spring. He would not have been my second pick for sure. And he is now. So congrats to Tyler Vaughn on uh, winning the Chris Swanson award for, you know, being awesome or whatever. Tyler Vaughn's my second pick. Adam, go ahead.
1: All right. Well, there are two people that I really want to take right now. And I feel like, I'm going to be kicking myself with either one that I pick because I'm going to regret not kicking the other one. Um, anyway, you might know who I'm referring to. I'm going to pick... I'm going to pick Bayless Jones.
2: I think that's smart.
1: I mean, just because... I favor people that I've already seen and the people that I have not at all in person, but there's someone on the board here that might, might be the answer. Should, maybe should have been the number one pick overall anyway. Okay, go ahead.
2: Wow. Uh, that scares me a little bit because I'm not sure if I'm going to pick that guy next and then you're going to make fun of me. Uh, I love your pick. Uh, right there by the way because i feel like with jones speed kills and he'll do something i just feel like there he'll do something at usc because he's fast speed kills so yeah. i like that pick um i'm gonna take oh gosh i really hope you don't make fun of me after i make this pick because i picked the wrong guy but i'm taking josh emor to Bay. okay because um, i feel like i look at his body type. And I haven't seen receivers at USC that look like that, really, that look that physical. Um, And I just feel like, you know, USC has had a lot of special receivers, a lot of great receivers. And and whenever someone's unique, it makes me wonder how special can they be. Um, Obviously, he was, you know, Mr. Everything coming out of high school, too. He's young still. Uh, So I like that pick.
1: Yeah, I, I like him too. Um, he was out for a bit of spring. That's why I haven't talked about him more because we needed to see as much of him as we would have liked. But he's really good after the catch. He reminds me of Juju a little bit in that regard, just after he's made a catch and, and how he can extend plays and, and pick up yards. Um,
2: you, want, you want to know who you're picking though, Because I know.
1: Yeah, now you know. Okay. I No, I'm, I mean, yeah. I
2: do. I just... Yeah, I, I would think you straight.
1: know. I'm picking Joseph Lewis. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, you didn't know. You still didn't know. I okay. didn't
2: know, because he's not even, like, technically, like, there yet.
1: Yeah, I thought we had dropped drop them all, so...
2: Okay, no, that's fair. Yeah. That's awesome. I just, that, you, you did surprise me. I thought I knew. I thought I was certain, and, uh... Wow. Yeah, I I think that's a great pick, too, honestly, because he's not even there. And I think he's a freak. So I love that pick, Adam. I really do.
1: (laughs) Okay, who are you picking?
2: Oh, I'm picking uh, the guy that I thought you're going to pick next. Carrie Angeline. Yeah, why? Because he's so young. Oh, Angeline. Angeline. Sorry. Um, He's young, which obviously I feel like that's that favors people in the draft. And he's another rare guy. You know he's so long, so tall. You think you see somebody like that, and you just think to yourself, "Oh, there's a reason for them to want to play him, to want to use him." Plus, he's looked so good this spring, at least according to Adam I, who we all know is really biased towards him. Uh, I'm, I'm just <laughs> putting that out there, trying to beat that to death. Uh, but yeah, he, he's he's who I'm looking at next because um, not a lot of tight ends out there like that. And I remember his high school coach telling me that he coached a tight end who is on the Cincinnati Bengals and getting playing time. And he thought Carrie Angeline high school was way beyond where that kid was. And he ended up playing in the NFL. So uh, I think, I think Angeline is going to be special and I'll take him.
1: Hey, you corrected it right there within that same sentence.
2: I I do it. I love it. You know, That's how just, just like, what is it? With Is it Valus Jones? There's like a Y there that throws me off that I can't. You know what I mean? Like a silent Y type deal. Silent Y. I don't know. Yeah. Throws me off a little bit. I can't pronounce silent Ys too well. Uh, Adam, go ahead. Pick pick another recruit to throw me off again, please.
1: We got to keep moving because there's like 25 people uh, that need to be drafted.
2: I also <laughs> placed an order for food that's going to take an hour because I figured that we would totally be done in an hour and it doesn't look like we're going to be. So, okay. There might be a knock okay. on the door during this podcast and a pizza delivered. Go ahead, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. My next pick, I, I like Angeline. That's who I would have taken had you not. But um, now, I mean, I, I'm, we're really throwing dark, um. I I'm picking Josh follow because okay. of what, what I've heard about him. Yeah. Tight end.
2: I, I like that pick too. Um, again, cause he's not even there. So for all, you know what I mean? For all we know, he gets there and he's like the best thing ever. And you look like a genius all of a sudden too. There's always, there's always that chance. <laughs> yeah. Um. I
1: sure kind of like I know what I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> This is throwing darts I'm going with Petit okay. uh, Tyler Petit because he's played And that's really, I mean that's where we are At this point Is uh, I know he has some kind of role There uh, Everybody else You're not really sure yet If they're going to be the guy or win that job Or you know ever get a chance Or whatever else So that's where I'm going
1: Alright I'm going to pick wrangle Grimes.
2: I think that that is what I would have picked too I think that's a smart choice because he's a tall outside wide receiver you feel like they're eventually going to have a role for that guy and he's not even there yet um, I get it uh, I think that right now that the younger the better uh, but I'm not going to go with Crowman Hoke because I just feel like uh, obviously he, Eric Krohman Hoke is a tight end that's coming in in this class there's so many tight ends there I'm not sure I want to pick another one just yet, you know what I mean. I almost thought like okay. they kind of they went too far in a way with getting to yeah. in that class. Yeah, uh, they, they might have. So, I I mean I gotta look elsewhere. I'm I'm just trying to look at what we got left. And gosh, you know I'm gonna take Stephen Mitchell, and uh, just because I feel like there is a chance that he, you know, shows what he was supposed to be. There's a chance that maybe he comes back and is so explosive that they can't keep him off the field. And I just... Right now, I I think I'd rather take a long shot on Mitchell than, you know, bet on uh, a Keyshawn Young that just moved to the position. A Jalen Green who's looking good, but I feel like... You know, they brought him in as a quarterback. I'm not sure I, I want to pick that guy either. So, I mean, there's not... It's not a lot of choices left, and I'm going Mitchell. And uh, I would totally get yeah, it if that we, was the last <laughs> pick, too. So I get it. I would get that if that's your last pick, Adam. I get it.
1: Yeah, well, with Mitchell, it's tough because uh, he was having a nice season before he got injured. And now, and he obviously missed his first year because of injury, and it kind of limited him in his second year. And now he's in his fifth year, and he's coming off another major injury. So. Um, I hope that we're totally wrong and that Mitchell has his breakout year. I really do. I mean, guys like that, like him and Kenny Bigelow, Toe Lobendine, all of which are coming off of 220 CL in college. Gosh. But um, the assignment was to drop these guys for their, their production in college. And. I know people were a lot more interested in who we were taking at the top, but if we're gonna close it out, then my next pick will be Keyshawn Young because we just don't know yet. You know, I mean, I, right now I'm I think he's low on that pecking order, but because he has time left, uh, there's a chance that he could do something. I think there's a you know maybe uh, more potential there just, I, I don't know what what's going to happen with him but at least like potential
2: yeah uh you know what i actually i the last choice is eric chrome obviously i believe he's the last one left if no, i no, there's a couple more there are yeah oh my gosh uh well i'll take i'll take Cromanhoek then just because i uh I'm not sure who else is left. I thought we got everybody else, so I'll let you pick the next one. Oh, Jalen Green. That's who it is. I'll take Croman Hoke um, because I look at tight end, and while it looks loaded right now and looks like it's a little bit, you know, working against him a little bit, um, I feel like Daniel Emertobebe is so talented. Who knows when he's gone? Uh, I feel like Carrie An- Angeline is so unique. He, even though he redshirted, maybe he's a three and done. If Daniel Bebe is a, a three and done, Petit is obviously a junior. And so I look at this situation where I'm like, well, maybe in a couple of years it's just him and Follow all of a sudden. You know what I mean? And and there's a role for him no matter what. I also I think highly of him as a tight end. Uh, they wanted him badly early on before they secured Josh Follow. He's talented. He he might surprise us and beat out Josh Follow, beat out somebody else, and and you know play. So he's young. I think tight end has a chance to open up, and I think he's talented. So I'll take Kromit Hoke.
1: Yeah, I mean, good pick. I mean, we're totally guessing. I think that's obvious at this point. Um, so I'm, I'm even thinking, like, I, why didn't I pick Croman Hoke? <laughs> but, I would have uh, picked
2: him over Young. I would have picked him over Young, too, just my yeah. opinion. but
1: um, I, What I like about Young is that um, he came in, he, he really was a receiver. And they kind of forced yeah. the issue with him at corner. And now yeah. he's back at receiver. That's where he wants to be. Now they have so many that it's going to be hard for him to make an impact there. But um, he is really fast. And uh, maybe he'll do it at receiver. Maybe he'll do it on special teams. I don't know. But um, there are two people left. Not one. So oh, my bad. I'm, making, yeah, I'm making a choice here. And I am going to pick, uh, <laughs> do you know who I'm picking between?
2: I know Jalen Green, and I'm scouring this list now for yeah, the other Yeah, Trevon Stigney. Oh, yes, that's right.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get to see Trevon in spring. He was another guy that I was definitely going to keep an eye on. But uh, he, had a, he had a hipster surgery And so they said he's going to come back this year. Although that, I think, is going to be hard. Because of when he had it and the nature of that procedure. So I'm going to say Jalen Green. Because he actually could be starting this year. And maybe we just are drafting him way too late. And he is a junior. He's got two years left. Jalen green
2: yeah i get that point um if he does start you're gonna look like a genius and i'm gonna look dumb well,
1: not uh, really i mean not not when i picked him 15
2: well you i i mean i think i would have picked sydney um and i would have argued that he's younger again which i think matters so much in this draft and you know there might be a window open for him but um sydney you know because of this injury, it just kind of seems like he's the last choice of the freshmen and there's so many. So, yeah. you know, even, even the guys coming in really, because they have a chance to, to play before him. Um, it seems like just because of the injury and because it will be a struggle for him to get back. Um, so I think that hurts him a lot. We haven't been able to see him and you kind of put, you know, you put yourself in the back of the pack. I'm just counting here. I'm counting incoming guys too, among wide receivers and tight ends that are freshmen. So we got red shirts and incoming guys, uh what do we got here uh nine so if you're at the back of the pack of that group you know just because yeah. you're injured you're gonna get buried in this draft that's just kind of how it goes so it's one of those deals i think
1: yeah anyway all right well final question from our mailbag go for it
2: oh wow okay i thought you were taking my job for a second there uh, alan b31 obviously a great friend of the show uh, we love you alan uh we hope everything's going well with you. Uh, he asked about our O line. He actually, or USC's O line, he calls it our O line, and that's why I said that. Uh, he mentioned it on the board. I know he took some heat for this question. I actually think it's a great question. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Alan says, I'm very concerned with our O line. I don't see us running very well and Sam running for his life. Why does SC not seem to recruit the top talent on the offensive line? Uh, obviously, Alan got some flack. For that question because of you know the last class or whatever else and some of the the rankings I think um, you know that, that these guys have gone but I actually think he has a very fair point if you don't mind me Adam just jumping in and, and grabbing this question by the horns here um, because I think that what we're seeing now is SEC did uh, reach for some guys along the offensive line they took some guys that were, I would say more of projects more more of guys that had to be developed i think that they did get some other, some top high-end recruits in those classes as well but you know when i think of a clayton johnson or roy hemsley uh, i think of guys that need to be developed uh, i think of a, a cool smith obviously i think a quality center but i think it had to be developed in other ways uh, physically maybe and so i see these guys where i think okay um they're not elite. They're more of projects. Uh, Chris Brown even, maybe not in the project category. Definitely not in the project category coming in. But you know, despite his four-star ranking, I wouldn't consider him an elite offensive lineman in that class. I thought he's more of a guy that emerged late and became kind of like that borderline three, four-star. I remember early on he didn't have a lot of big offers. So I think that you're just seeing uh, right now uh, because you know they lost a couple tackles and stuff at, you know maybe some of the bigger name recruits haven't played yet uh and are hurt in spring you know there's some guys that are hurt you're seeing these project guys get thrown in there and they you know they're looking that way they're looking they're not looking like the typical high-end uh usc recruit or player along the offensive line so i totally get where alan b's question is coming from because i think it's coming from you know he's observing uh these spring practice reports and he's saying okay these guys that we knew coming out of high school would need a little work are out there, and they might still need a little work. So they're not, you know, it doesn't seem like USC is plugging in a five-star left tackle, five-star right tackle, you know, whatever else. Obviously, they have some guys like that. Chuma Doga is a guy that people will point to, but you're seeing them have to rely also on some lower-end guys that they need to develop. So I think that's where that's questions coming from. I think while USC is recruiting the top talent. I think that you're going to have years you know where uh they're not ready yet uh you have to rely on some older guys that maybe weren't as highly rated maybe you lost a guy early to the draft that you didn't expect um you know maybe you are replacing two tackles and i think that's that's what's happened here and i think that usc it's kind of being shown some of their lower end depth we're used to seeing all five stars or whatever else Pete Carroll was really picky about offensive linemen and the sanctions they had to be picky too I think we're seeing some of these lower-end guys get playing time, and they're not looking like the guys we're used to seeing at USC. That's what I think is happening right now. I think USC will continue to recruit offensive linemen at a high level. I think in the future they'll be okay. This year it seems like it might be a challenge uh, because of what's just happened uh, you know, in some recent classes.
1: Well, why do you think before the 2017 class, why do you think they were having – a hard time getting the top talent to come.
2: I I think that they did uh, get the top some of these top talented guys. I think like the top like
1: the to, like the the top ten linemen, let's say you know in well between twenty thirteen and twenty sixteen.
2: I think that um, in, there was a lack of them out west. I think they had very good offensive line talent out west, but I don't think you saw that. Um, elite five-star uh, guy too often obviously they've missed on uh, Wyatt Davis and he was kind of the one that comes to mind as being I think he's probably the highest rated offensive lineman uh, out west in some time because you even think of you know Damian Mama whatever else uh, they weren't five stars uh, and then I think of uh, there was the the 2012 class, I believe, which I, I know is looking back very far, but obviously, you know, they got bannered. They missed on, uh, you know, a couple of high rank guys there uh, like Pete and Murphy. So I think that plays into it, and you saw them kind of take project tackles to the next class to, to fill up, you know, for a miss that they expected to get some other guys, and then I think that uh, towards the end, they were struggling, uh, you know, um, before, before this year with Clay Helton where they went to the Rose Bowl and went on a win streak. They had years where they struggled. They had years where they were switching offensive line coaches. I mean, there are there all sorts of stories.
0: That's uh, right, probably about,
2: Oh, USC's yeah. had five different offensive line coaches in the last four years. Well, even if you're an offensive lineman that wants to play for USC, that storyline's going to concern you, and I think that's going to be in your head. Yeah. Um, and, so, and then I think they reached for depth when they could because they, they had a lack of, uh, of, you know, quality linemen. I think after the sanctions, I think that they took too few linemen because uh, I think that they wanted to... You, you, when you're in sanctions, you look at players differently, I think. I think you look at athletes and you look at receivers and corners and safeties and you think, oh, I, but I could also play him here, I could also play him here if something goes wrong. And you look at a lineman and you think, well, if something goes wrong, I can't play that guy. And so I think they went too light, and then I think that when they could make up for it, I think that they reached uh, a lot. And I think that that's why you're seeing some of these guys playing now is because they are the depth fillers, uh, you know, the gap fillers or whatever else for some of these guys that they missed and some of these smaller classes they had to take.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate your insight. And I, you know, you mentioned it shortly there, but having five line coaching from five years between 2012 and 2016, I think, really hurt what they were trying to do on the recruiting front. Callaway's the first coach to come back at that position since 2012.
2: Yeah, it's a big deal because that's a, that's a position where you need a lot of coaching, I feel like. And I, and I think yeah. the linemen, a lot of linemen, uh, offensive linemen, they're going to play at the college level, I feel like are very smart, cerebral players high IQ type football players. And I think that they're going to factor that in uh, when they're making a college decision because they know it's important. Um, So, yeah, I I think that's, I think that's huge. I think, you know, you just, you just look and you think, wow, that's almost a comical storyline. And then also, I mean, they weren't getting, it's not like they had five different offensive line coaches and they were all huge name guys either, you know, Uh, Drevno is a big name guy, but I think two. When they had Bob Conley, for instance, and I actually liked Bob Conley a lot more than a lot of you know people do. A lot of USC fans were were not happy with that hire. I thought he did a fine job from what I saw, uh, but that's not that's not a big name guy. They weren't it wasn't they weren't switching offensive line coaches every year and always getting some big name guy where somebody's thinking oh well USC's just they're always going to be fine along the offensive line coaching front. I think that there were definite questions there, uh, not only from number you know, from all the switching, but. You know, just from quality of the staff. And that was a concern at USC, uh, you know, at at almost every position, I think, for a while. And I I think it might even still be, you know, uh, if they keep winning, it won't be. But, you know, they're not they're not the most experienced, well-known coaching staff, I would say.
1: Well, they brought in a great haul this past year on the offensive line. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they did that with the same offensive staff intact and offensive line coach,
2: which I agree.
1: points toward a brighter future.
2: I agree. Yeah. Look, yeah. look at that. Ending on a positive note, Adamiah. you're so opposite of me. I love it. Yeah, right. Should I just say something terrible to – To end it, just to ruin the
1: show. I'm ready to go.
2: I'm ready to go, too. This has been a long show. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, our very long edition. Uh, We want to make up to you, obviously. We took a bye week, so uh, two shows in one, basically, but sign up for the site if you haven't already. I just want to mention that again. uh, Trojansports.com Click sign up. Get everything out of Maya. Get everything me. Uh, I know that's not as desirable, but uh, deal with it. I'm plugging myself, too. Uh, After all that, For Adam J. Maya, our wonderful USC football wizard. Uh, For my mother, who I've mentioned throughout the show, so I'm going to throw her in there too. And for myself, uh, Chris Swanson, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, We always appreciate you guys. Good night. Take care. And I have a feeling you'll be listening to this in the morning sometime. So enjoy your day. Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye.